The uniqueness of being a genetic counselor in an adult-onset-inherited life-limiting illness. You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. Robert Klitzman, the Associate Professor of Clinical Psychiatry at the Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons. He co-founded and for five years co-directed the Columbia University Center for Bioethics and is currently the Director of Ethics and Policy Corps of the HIV Center. Thank you very much for joining us. You're very welcome. I'm pleased to be here. Today we're going to be discussing the very difficult problems of disclosing information to patients when you suspect or believe they might be a carrier of Huntington's disease. Tell me, what is the process that you would go through initially in disclosing this kind of information? Well, there are several issues. If you find out that you have the gene for Huntington's, or if you find out you're at risk, that, that is that one of your parents had Huntington's disease, you have to decide who you should tell, when you should tell them, what you should say, whether you should say something, etc. So let's say that I find out that my father, who I just thought was a little nuts, turns out has Huntington's disease. Well, that means that I have a 50% chance of having the gene, and if I have the gene, if I don't die of something else first, I will die of Huntington's disease at about the same age that he did. So I then need to decide, will I get tested or not, and will I give the fact that I'm at risk, will I give that information to my children, my spouse, my significant other, my siblings, my cousins, if they're at risk? It's a whole set of issues, and People may decide to tell older adult children, but not tell adolescents, for instance. Do you tell an 18-year-old? Do you want that hanging over their head? So these are very difficult issues. Now you have the information and you want to be tested. How do you go out doing that? Well, there's a problem in that there's a shortage of genetic counselors in this country. There's about 1,800 genetic counselors in the whole country. And so some doctors in some areas work with a genetic counselor and no one. Others don't. Where do a doctor such as myself get this information? People are going to come to me and ask me to be tested, and I am going to be poorly prepared, especially if I've been out of medical school for as long as I have, to really answer their questions or stay up to the current standard of information. Yes, it's a major problem. I think CME classes, I think that there are a lot of things published, books, journal articles, review articles. These are all very important things. And it's not only the science, but how do you talk to people? In many ways, this is akin to the early days of HIV testing. And I, as you know, recently wrote a book called Mortal Secrets, Truth and Lies in the Age of AIDS, in which I look at how physicians and patients deal and dealt with issues of should someone get tested, whom do they tell, do they tell what they don't want to tell a sexual partner, what do you do with the fact that there's stigma and discrimination around both genetic diseases and HIV and Huntington's disease, etc., and what do people do in terms of risk behaviors that may transmit the either HIV to spouses or children or genetic disease to children. Should you have children? Should you, if I have, let's say I have the gene for Huntington's, the mutation, should I adopt? Should I abort? Should I not have kids? Should I undergo pre-implantation genetic diagnosis in which we screen embryos before they're implanted into a woman? These are all very difficult issues, and I think clinicians need to, just like as I described in the book about HIV, deal with a whole range of social, psychological, ethical, and legal complications. In another one of your books, When Doctors Become Patients, you talk about how difficult doctors are when they are given information. Now you have a group of people who aren't even doctors and are given what one would consider uh, very difficult information to process. How do they do it? Where do they turn? What is the next step? 
in other words, to get help. Is it a team approach that we should offer them? Well, ideally, a team approach would be great, but we know that a lot of doctors don't work with a full team. So they may not have a genetic counselor there or a social worker or someone who can be comfortable dealing with these issues. And I would argue that they need to find out who a genetic counselor in their community is, but there may not be a genetic counselor in their community or where they work. And so they need to be able to feel comfortable to at least begin to deal with these issues when patients raise them. As you point out in the book, When Doctors Become Patients, I found that many doctors would make assumptions about how much risk a patient would be willing to undertake and found they were wrong. And that, in fact, the assumptions that doctors, when they became patients, found that their doctors made about them were often wrong. One doctor said that when he was diagnosed with a rare cancer, he found out that there was a new treatment that had been tried on one patient on the West Coast, and he flew out to be the second patient. I said, well, would you ever suggest that for a patient of yours? He said, well, of course not. But, you know, I can handle the risks and benefits. Well, maybe there are patients who would also want to handle the risks and benefits. And so as physicians, we're trained to think, well, these are the risks and the benefits. But, in fact, how we weigh those may be different from patient to patient or how we as patients weigh them may be quite different. So similar with this, whether or not someone wants to take the risk of having a child with Huntington's disease, whether someone wants to take the risk of, let's say, I have the mutation for breast cancer, do I want to have prophylactic surgery done to remove breasts or remove ovaries? Should women have this done? These are very complicated issues. Let's say there's a woman's been symptomatic in one breast and has a strong family history, she may decide to have surgery. But there may be women who have no symptoms, but maybe have one or two female relatives who've had breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and decide to have prophylactic surgery done. So again, as I described in the book, we need to discuss these issues closely with our patients to understand how our patients look at them, how they would look at a positive test if they were to undergo testing and have a positive test, what their values are, who they would tell if they were positive. And again, we need to be prepared to have these conversations as clinicians. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. Robert Klitzman, and we're discussing the very complex issue of disclosing to patients that they are at risk from Huntington's disease and what to do about it and where to turn. In your literature, you use the word thick description, right? meaning trying to find out about an individual's own life and social situation. When you have that information, can you use it to the benefit of the patient? Yes. So the notion of thick description is a term that anthropologists have used to describe a complete description of someone's world or an aspect of someone's world. So if I want to find out what is it like to have Huntington's disease and have to deal with these issues... I could talk to one patient for five minutes, or I can try to understand the full range of issues involved from who do you tell, when do you tell them, and of course, if you interview 25 people, as I did, who were all at risk of Huntington's disease or had Huntington's disease, each person's story is going to be different, but you look for patterns to understand the kinds of issues, the range of issues that patients face in the variability. So someone may not have any siblings. Someone else may be 60 and already had their kids. Someone else may be 32 and thinking of having kids. Someone may be unmarried and think, well, maybe I shouldn't get married because I can't have kids. Someone may have symptoms, someone may not have symptoms. You want to understand what the range of issues are. And I would argue that to understand that range can be extremely helpful when dealing with patients because patients will fit somewhere in the spectrum, right? So you don't want to just focus on patients who have already had their kids because you'll find one who hasn't. So you want to try to understand the issues that patients are facing. As doctors, we're not well-trained 
to think outside our own point of view. We're trained, this is how we should look at symptoms, but it turns out that that patients who are dealing with these genetic issues in this case often look at these issues differently than we may assume. You mentioned two philosophers, Cecil Bach, who says you should never lie, and David Nyberg, who seems to say, what's so good about always telling the truth? Where do we stand with these two conflicting ideas when it comes to telling this kind of news? Well, it's very difficult. My sense is that people try to do the right thing, on the other hand, they often are uncomfortable doing the right things. For instance, I described in the book at HIV, there are mothers who don't want their 14-year-old daughter to know that she, the 14-year-old daughter, has HIV that she got from the mother at birth. So the mother may decide not to tell the truth. Is that a lie? Is that just a sin of omission versus one of commission? There is a range of approaches and attitudes, and the problem is that patients may not tell siblings or not tell parents or not tell their children that they have these genetic mutations, and they may justify it. And I think that doctors need to understand the range of issues involved. So the patient may say, I haven't talked to my sister in 20 years. Why do I have to call her up and tell her she's at risk of Huntington's disease? Well, a physician needs to know how to deal with that, and these are often philosophical issues. So there's a range of feeling to understand alternate positions and present them to the patient is important. So if a patient says, you know, I haven't talked to her for 20 years. She didn't come to my wedding. Why should I tell her that she might be at risk of Huntington's? Well, maybe there is a reason. Relationships and families are complicated. There's often tensions. There's often conflict. There's often very ambivalent feelings. And parents may feel conflicted. On the one hand, they want to tell a child. They may feel guilty that they passed on this gene, even though there's nothing they could have done about it. Given these conflicts, people may not know what to do, and so things end up getting blurted out because people haven't sort of thought through carefully what to do. So that's correct that often, be it HIV or Huntington's or other genetic diseases, other mutations, people may say things without thinking, what are the consequences of what I say? What should I say to this person? What if it's a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old or someone who may not be able to fully process the information? There are people who said, well, you know, I didn't know I was at risk of Huntington's, so I was about to have kids. And I was told that my aunt or uncle, who reportedly fell down the stairs and died, in fact, had Huntington's disease. So that may be too late in some ways to first tell someone that after they're trying to have a child. You know, many of us think we know what we would do with prenatal information. I mean, that's why PGD has become so well-known and various types of in vitro studies are becoming so commonly used. But here we're talking about a disease that affects an adult who may have enjoyed really many happy years. And we're looking at only one disease. And is it really fair to evaluate somebody's quality of life in the face of just one disease? That's a very good question. And as I described in the book, when doctors become patients, doctors, when they become ill, realize that the way they looked at having a disease is quite different than what it's like to have the disease. That on the one hand, patients often cope better. On the other hand, often spiritual issues often help patients more than doctors had thought beforehand. Often things like pain or nausea that we as doctors sort of don't really pay much attention to because they're nonspecific symptoms, in fact, are severely disturbing to patients. And patients value that far more than the benefits they may be getting from, say, a chemotherapy that may be ostensibly getting rid of cancer, but in fact gives them a lot of side effects that they find worse. So than having the cancer in some cases, or not even the side effects of medication, but as other medical problems. So unfortunately, we don't really know what it's like to have a disease until we have that disease. That being said, as clinicians, we obviously can't have every disease before we treat it. 
nor would we want that on anyone. So we have to try to understand what it's like to have a disease so we can be as empathetic as we can. And that's partly why I've been doing the work I have, written the six books I have, writing about patients' experiences to try to convey to physicians and trainees what the experience is like so that they can be there for their patients as much as possible. Well, many of us who practice and see patients every day, this kind of discussion makes us realize how important it is to begin to further our information about being a genetic counselor. People are going to be coming to us. People are going to be answering us questions. People are going to get blood tests on the Internet, and we have to be prepared. I want to thank Dr. Robert Klitzman for being our guest today, and we've been discussing disclosure in the difficult problems of Huntington's disease. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com, register with promo code, quote, radio, unquote, and receive six months free streaming for your office or home. If you have comments or suggestions, please call us at 888-MD-XM-157. Thank you for listening.